welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Ben Fuquay. I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. This week at Renovate, Josh stepped into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we've been the last couple of weeks, and he really addressed this idea that the gospel should be sending us out as ambassadors to the world around us. Enjoy. Well, good evening. How we doing? Good deal. Um, all right, let's go Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be hanging out there uh, tonight. Um, so when I was a, a senior in college, I developed mad respect for anyone who could write a musical. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I tried to write a musical when I was a senior in college. Uh, it sounded like a great idea at the time. Um, it was called Ring by Spring. And it was a social commentary on the dating culture of Texas A&M University. <laughs> Guys, that's the worst thing to whoop for. Like I just said, like our dating culture is marked by desperation. Like we don't whoop for stuff like that. Y'all are my people, but you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. Uh, so we, uh, me and my roommate decided, all right, let's try to write this musical is too bitter, bitter guys. And, uh, and we get through the first song and uh, man, we were really stoked about it, but it took a lot of work and to kind of like make a musical happen, right? Man, this is, this is a lot of work. So we finished uh, the first song and I look at them because I don't know anything about musicals. I say, so like how many songs are, are in one of these things? And he goes, I don't know, maybe like 20 more. I'm like, I'm good. Um, and so we just decided to not finish this musical. Um, so, but because in, the, in that moment, I developed crazy respect for anyone who could write a musical because I realized it's so hard to write a musical. So fast forward a couple years to January 20th, 2015. An event took place that changed my life forever. Hamilton premiered on Broadway. And I'll tell you why this single event changed my life. Because on top of now having crazy respect for anyone who can write a musical, um, there, are, there are three things that you should know about me, that, th- three things that just really have my heart. And if you see me at like a cocktail party and I look bored and you just want to become best friends, bring up any of these three things and we will be instantaneous best friends. What I love more than almost anything is I love history, I love hip hop, and I love creative storytelling. I love those three, th- three things. So when this event happened, when Hamilton came out, the God-given brilliance of Lin-Manuel Miranda, what happened, what, what was produced was a creative way to tell the historical story of Alexander Hamilton set to hip-hop music. It blew my mind, right? And so all of a sudden, I, I find out about this thing, and I'm like, I'm, I'm listening to the sound, soundtrack, and I'm like studying stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, one, like this is so hard to produce. This is one of the most creative pieces of art the world has ever known. This is incredible. And my mind was just blown. And I was so just enamored by Hamilton. And if you talk to me between 2015 and 2016, there's a really good chance that I tried to work Hamilton into the conversation. You know why? Because I had experienced a joy like I had never experienced in my entire life. I, I, I had experienced this, this brilliance and this creativity and this joy, and, and, and in my heart, I'm thinking, I want everyone around me to experience what I've experienced. 
I want everyone else around me to know how incredible this is and how hard it must have been to write it. And it's just, oh, I, don't even, I don't have anything to compare it to. I just want everyone to know about it, right? Now, what's the point? Hey, bro, why you just stop talking to Hamilton, bro? That's 2016, 2015, it's old news, right? Here's why. We have been in a series the last couple of weeks um, where we've been talking about the fact that the gospel is this life-changing event that took place 2,000 years ago that still has a significant impact on us today, right? And, and what's interesting about life-changing events is that life-changing events, they change our lives, right? Which, which might sound redundant, but, but the reality is a life-changing event has the capacity to, to change your life, to actually change your life where you can't be the same after that event happened. And so we've been walking through how the gospel actually changes our lives. And so last week, Ben talked about how the gospel changes the way we see things. The gospel changes the way we see relationships. It changes how we see work. It changes how we see ourselves and Christ and sin. It changes all these things. And so what I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about the fact that the gospel changes the way we talk. It changes what we talk about, right? Because if the, if the gospel is this life-changing thing, if we've experienced something so life-changing, then it should change what we talk about, right? The problem is that if we're being honest, for a lot of us, we love the gospel, we appreciate the gospel, right? We, we get the gospel, but if we're being honest, sometimes the gospel hasn't actually changed what we talk about. It hasn't produced something within us where we can't help but talk about it, and we, don't, and we don't go to great lengths to make sure that everyone knows what's going on. And so the question for us tonight is why? If the gospel really is a life-changing event, if we can stand here with a straight face claim that the gospel has changed our lives, yet we don't talk about it in a way that communicates it's changed our lives, then there's something off, there's something missing. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to figure out why. Why, why is that a common problem for us as um, followers of Christ? And so with that being said, let's, let's dive in and let's figure out why. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll pick it up in verse 18. It says this, And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Therefore, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. All right, so, so Paul is continuing this thought that we've been reading through the last couple of weeks. And, and what Paul is doing here as he finishes his statements, he's just building on this idea that the gospel is a life-changing event. And why is it a life-changing event? Well, he, he says, we've been reconciled, right? He says, says, the story of the gospel is that you have been reconciled to God, that, that your sin fractures your relationship with God. There's no way that you can earn right standing before God. And what God did is he didn't leave us on our own, but he sent his son to die in our place. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, that bridge has been, or that gap has been bridged. And so now we have right relationship because Christ has, has gone to great lengths to reconcile us to God. And that's 
That's crazy. Like that, that, that's a life-changing thing that we've been reconciled to God, not because of anything that we could do, but because of what Christ has done for us. But, but he doesn't stop that. He doesn't just say, yeah, you've been reconciled. He, he goes further. And so in verse 19, he explains this. He says, um, I lost my spot. He says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation, therefore we are now ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, right? So, so on top of us just having this, this incredible truth of us being reconciled to God, God has invited us into his story of reconciling the world. And that for whatever reason, God shows that, that how he wants the world to know about this life-changing reconciliation is that he's allowed us to be ambassadors. He's allowed us to, to have this message of reconciliation that we get to go out and we get to, to tell others. And so what does the gospel change about the way we talk or what do we talk about? The gospel should move us to a place where now we are people who can't stop talking about this reconciliation. Because if this reconciliation really is a life-changing thing for us, then it should move us to a place where we just can't help but talk about it. Now, maybe you hear that and think, all right, well, I've, I've been to a lot of church things before, um, and I've heard a lot of, like, pastor speak and Christianese about, um, man, talking about Jesus and reconciliation and being messengers and ambassadors and all that stuff. But man, what, what does that actually look like? What, what does it actually look like to be a people who have been so changed by the gospel that, that we can't help but talk about this reconciliation? It's a great question. Um, so I, I've been racking my brain all week trying to figure out how to like explain what this change in our life looks like. And so um, what I decided is, is I think that it might be easier if we just do a case study. If we do a case study on somebody who's actually um, a phenomenal example of someone whose life has been changed so much by the gospel that, that the way they talk and how they talk and what they talk about is drastically different than it was before this moment of reconciliation. So um, I want us to do a quick case study on our boy Peter. If you don't know who Peter is, Peter uh, was Jesus' right-hand man. He was one of the 12 disciples. Um, he was the, the closest disciple. And Peter was the first guy to have Jesus back in anything. In fact, he would, um, he would oftentimes like kind of stand up and say, hey, whatever you need, I got you. In fact, when, when Christ uh, predicted his, his own death, um, Peter stood up and he says, hey, you're not gonna die because I'm here. I'm gonna make sure that you don't die. And Jesus says, bro, like before your alarm clock goes off, you're gonna deny me three times. And he's like, no, I won't. And he's like, yes, you will. And Peter stands up like boldly and says, man, if I have to die, I will die, die for you. And he's like, all right, whatever, man, we'll see. So <laughs> that's what's going down, down here, right? Um, but let's, let's read, read something. And if you've been in church for any period of time, you've, you've probably read, read, read this. But I want to I read this to us because I think this is a phenomenal picture of what Peter's life was like pre-reconciliation, before he experienced this reconciliation that was offered to him through, through Christ. This is uh, Luke 22 Verse 54, it says this. And then they seized him, meaning Jesus, and led him astray, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in, in the light and looking closely at him, said, hey, 
this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw Simon and said, no, you, you also were one of them. But he said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, no, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. And that's a, a heartbreaking passage, right? Um, but what this does is it gives us a, a picture into Peter's posture, right? Peter is this guy who, in front of Jesus' face, is like, man, I got your back, bro. Like, whatever you need, like, I'm your boy. But then behind Jesus' back, he, he denies him. But he denies him, first off, when, like, a middle school girl looks him in the eye and says, hey, do you know Jesus? Like, like a middle school-aged servant girl just simply asks him if he knows who Jesus is, and he folds like a lawn chair. Right? Like, he is so, like, oh, no, 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 I, I don't. And so in this moment, when, when, when people are, are, are simply just asking if he is associated with Christ, his fear of Jesus being arrested, his fear of what's going on, his, his uncertainty, it moves him to a place where he disassociates from Jesus. He just backs away and he just denies even having any sort of association with him. In this moment, we see a guy who is, when it comes to talking to others about Jesus, I mean, not, not talking about him, just even admitting that he's associated with them. This dude is cowardly. He's timid. He, he has no backbone. He has no boldness, no confidence when it comes to talking about Christ. But then Jesus resurrects. Right? He is eventually killed and he dies on the cross and then he comes back to life and, and there's this incredible picture in John where Peter and Christ, they are reconciled. There's this beautiful moment of reconciliation and Peter is given forgiveness, the same forgiveness that you and I are offered. So let's fast forward about a year. Um, I'm gonna pick this up in Acts 3. We don't actually have slides for this part, so just uh, listen as I read. But um, I want you to notice and see if there's a change in Peter, right? So in Acts 3, actually, let me give you a little bit of a uh, context here. So, so Peter and John are, are walking into the temple, and there is a, a guy who has been lame for 40 years, and he's sitting at the gate, and he's just asking for money. He's like, man, I can't walk, I can't, can't work, do you have any cash? And they're walking by, and Peter stops, and he looks at him, and he says, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't have any money, um, but what I can give you is pretty cool. Uh, so in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this lame guy, this guy who hadn't been able to walk for 40 years, that everyone had seen sitting there day after day, the text says that he leaps up, that he leaps up, he jumps up, and this dude just starts running around the temple. It says that he is leaping and praising God, which is the correct response if you've been lame for 40 years and all of a sudden you can walk, right? But as you can imagine, when this dude who was previously just like sitting here asking for change is now doing jumping jacks in the middle of the temple, everyone's starting to be like, what is going on? Like what, like, what is this commotion? We are in the house of God. Like someone needs to shut this down. And so all of a sudden, everyone's just trying to figure out what, what's all the commotion, right? Now, if you remember, the last time we saw Peter, 
Anytime that someone even approached him about, hey, man, are you, are you with Christ? He was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Please don't mention him again, right? And so now this crowd is gathering, asking all kinds of questions. What is going on? And look what Peter said. This is chapter three. We'll start in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or our our own piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But again, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. All right, I wanna keep, keep on going, but just stop for a second and just notice the boldness of Peter, right? The guy who just, like, we had just seen him, like, crumble when he was questioned by a servant girl, this dude stands up in the middle of the temple. All these people, and they're like, hey, what's going on? And he says, what's going on is you killed the author of life. That doesn't sound like the old Peter, right? I mean, dude is just bold, right? He's saying, what happened is you remember Jesus. Pilate said that he was innocent. You called for him to be crucified. Pilate said, I'll give you another robber in their place. And they're like, that sounds great. And you killed the author of life. And in his name, this dude as well, right? So immediately we see this guy who's not timid. He's not cowardly. He is bold when he's talking about Christ. But look how he finishes in verse 17. It says, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. So what he's doing here is he's just being a minister of reconciliation. He's carrying this message of reconciliation. He he sees this crowd and where once upon a time he might have backed away and shied away from addressing this crowd, he sees this crowd now as an opportunity. Everyone's curious, everyone's engaged, everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And so instead of backing away, he stands up and says, I can tell you 100% what's going on. You killed Jesus, but good news, he's alive and he's offering forgiveness and all you have to do is believe. So man, repent, believe so that your sins may be blotted out. Peter is, he's standing up and he's, he's bold. He's not pulling any punches, but he's also very, very clear. Man, there's reconciliation available. And there's reconciliation available to you. And I want you to, to know and to experience this reconciliation. Right, this is a, a very different, a very different guy than the guy that we just read. But things are about to get a little hairy. His, his boldness in this moment is admirable, but let's, let's see how bold this dude really is because things are about to pick up. Let me start in ch- chapter four, verse one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed 
because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already night. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by, by what name did you do this? All right, I, want, I want to stop right there before we hear Peter's response because I want you to understand the gravity of this moment. Peter stands up, he, he tells a crowd, he, he preaches this message of reconciliation. He lets everyone know that reconciliation through Christ and Christ alone is available if they will just repent and believe. And the high priest and, and all the religious rulers, they get really annoyed by it. And they arrest him. And so Peter and John are in jail, just kind of waiting. And then they bring them out and they set them before um, this Jewish council. Right? Like the, the, the high council of the Jewish rulers. And I want you to get a visual for, for who they're standing in front of. Because they're not standing in front of like three or four dudes who are just asking questions about what happened. They're standing, of, they're standing before 71 men. 70 elders and the high priest. But it's not just 71 men that are staring them down. These are the same men who plotted to execute Jesus. These are the same religious rulers who, who went to great lengths to make sure that Jesus died. These are the guys who sold Jesus out to the Romans, trying to convince the Roman government that he was trying to incite a revolution. Peter is sitting here and he's looking at these men and he 100% knows who these guys are. He knows what they're capable of. He knows the power that they wield. He knows these men because these men killed his best friend. So if there's ever a moment in time where Peter has every ability or every chance to fall back into the old self, and there's any time where Peter might be tempted to, to, to be a little bit more timid and say, oh, no, I was just kidding. I'm, I'm not, I was just making all that stuff up or like, we're good. Like if there's ever any time for him to back up and fall back into being a coward, it's now because he doesn't know what's going to happen. But these men, these, these 71 men, they stare him down and they say, hey, by what name did you do this? Verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Christ. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? 
For that, a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Christ. But Peter and John answered them, and this is, this is the key. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I love that line. These these men who, who are capable of some really dark things, they, they pull him in and they, and they threaten him and say, hey, don't you ever dare speak in the name of Jesus again. Don't you dare say that or there are gonna be consequences. And he knows what they're capable of, but he looks them square in the eye and says, hey, look, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry if I'm annoying you. I'm sorry if me talking about Christ is getting under your skin, but I can't help it. I can't help but speak about what I've seen and what I've heard. And if you know how the rest of Peter's life goes, Peter ends up dying for his faith. Peter holds to his guns, and this man boldly proclaims the name of Jesus Christ until the day that he dies. And in fact, he loses his life because of it. And when I read this, when when I read stories about a guy who just a year before is timid, and spineless and cowardly and disassociates himself from Jesus. Now he's staring at the people who murdered Jesus, staring them in the eyes and saying, hey man, do what you will, but I can't stop talking about it. It makes you think, what happened? I mean, this is a changed man. Like, like being scared of a middle school slave girl and then staring a murderer in the eye and saying, do what you will. Like, this is a changed man. So what happened? What happened is that Peter experienced a reconciliation so life-changing that he couldn't help but talk about it. The reconciliation that Peter experienced was so life-changing, he just couldn't help but talk about it. Because that's how life-changing events happen. Life-changing events, if they're truly life-changing, they actually change our lives. They change the way we see, they change the way we behave, but they change the way we talk. So the question for us is, have we experienced this reconciliation in such a life-changing way that we can't help but talk about it? Is the gospel so life-changing that we, we just can't help but tell everybody we know, that we just can't help but work it into conversations and say, hey, man, I, I don't mean to be annoying, but man, I've, just, I've just experienced this grace. I've experienced this mercy. I've experienced this, and ah, I just can't stop talking about it. I think if we're honest, for a lot of us, the, the answer is, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know if the gospel has changed my life in this specific way. So if you find yourself in that camp, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I don't, I don't really know why that is because I, I love Christ. I get it, man. Like I've I placed my faith in Christ. I, like I love the gospel, but man, I don't know why it hasn't worked its way to my mouth. I don't know why it hasn't changed the way that I talk. Um, and as we close, I just want to kind of lay out kind of three, three theories of, of, of why I think that might be. Three theories of why I think that the maybe we're, we're slow to talk about reconciliation, despite the fact that we claim that this is a life-changing event in our lives. And the first is this. Maybe you're slow to talk about reconciliation because you don't know how. 
Maybe you're sitting here and you're slow to talk about reconciliation because you don't know how. That's a valid fear. I think that when it comes to talking about Christ, we are so intimidated oftentimes because we think that in order for us to be qualified to talk to someone about our salvation or to talk about Christ, we have to know every answer to every crazy theological question out there because what happens if they ask us something and we just don't know the answer? That would be defeating, right? And I get that. Like, it's, it's intimidating. And we should have answers for, for, for stuff 100%. But the reality is, we evangelize stuff all the time without knowing all the ins and outs of it, right? Like, like, like we're all evangelists in the name of something every single day, whether it's like a restaurant or a new show on Netflix. Like um, I am a very proud evangelist for Torchy's queso and I don't know what's in the queso. I just know it's cheese and it's amazing and you should try it, right? Like, but like, like, like I don't go study all of the ingredients to say, okay, I know every ingredient in the queso. I can now go tell people about the queso. Now, hear me say, we, yes, like have great theology, study, know what we're talking about. But I think, and so often we, we complicate this idea of being a messenger of reconciliation. If you've received reconciliation, and talk about the reconciliation that you've received. And say, man, this is where I was. This is what I was struggling with. This is how, how empty and alone I felt. This is how, man, I just ran from God or I rebelled against God or I just shook my fist at God for a long time. And, and God was so gracious to me. God was so merciful to me. Like God allowed his son to die in my place. And because of that, I get to now stand before God without shame, without guilt. Because when he sees me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees Christ. And what Christ has done for me on the cross, like that's, that's crazy. The, the beauty of the gospel is that it's so exhaustive we can spend the rest of our lives talking about it, but it's so simple that we can explain it to a five-year-old kid. That we're sinners. That we are in desperate need of a savior and that Christ came to be that savior for us so that we can have a right relationship with God. So, so if you're there and thinking, man, I'm, I'm just scared, I just don't know how, know, know how. I would encourage you, man, just start talking about your own reconciliation and take a step of faith and, and start trying to just explain the reconciliation that you have been on the receiving end of. Or second, and maybe you're slow to talk about reconciliation because you don't feel the weight of your reconciliation. Maybe you're slow to talk about reconciliation because if you're honest, you don't feel the weight of your reconciliation. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, we feel the weight of forgiveness or the weight of reconciliation more so based on the gravity or the type of relationship that we've broken, right? Um, I got married in June, um, which is awesome. Haley's incredible. Um, but um, that, was, that was after the fact. It's cool. It's cool. Um, but I've learned so much about this concept through marriage. Right? Um, because by the grace of God, I have a wife who is loving and kind and forgives me all the time. But all the time, I do things to, to fracture our relationship. I, I, I do things that require reconciliation. And if I'm honest, I feel the weight of reconciliation based on the severity of what I've done. Right? So like if I leave the toilet seat up, which happens often, um, and she forgives me, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Um, but... <laughs> I don't feel the weight of that forgiveness to the same, same extent because at the end of the day, it's not the biggest thing in the world. It's a big deal, but it's not the biggest thing <laughs> in the world. 
But if I do something that breaks her trust, if I do something that makes her feel unsafe, if I do something that makes her feel invisible, if I do something that wounds her on a deep level, and then she forgives me, and then she seeks reconciliation, then she offers reconciliation, I, I feel that. I feel the weight of that. And what happens is that I'm so overwhelmed by my gratitude. I'm so overwhelmed by the weight of what it cost her to reconcile, what it cost her to forgive me. I can't help but talk about it. Right? If I'm like walking in the halls and someone's like, hey, how's Haley? She's amazing. She's incredible. She's gracious and kind and forgiving. And I don't know what I did to deserve it because I'm a chump, but she's here and she's like, I, I wake up in the morning and she's still there. And I, I don't know what, like, why. It's crazy. She's amazing. Right? Like, like, I just can't help but talk about it because I feel the weight of the reconciliation. Right? But I think for us, maybe the reason why we're slow to talk about it is because, yeah, we know we. We know we sin. We know we're sinners. We, we know that Christ died for us. But if we're honest, we don't feel the weight of what it cost Christ. Because in our minds, like, I'm, I'm not really that bad. Yes, I'm a sinner. I know the whole sin thing, but I'm not really that bad. But here's the deal. Sin is sin. I don't care if it's pride or an addiction to porn. I don't care if it's slander or slavery. I don't care if it's a white lie or white supremacy. Sin is sin. And even our most respectable sins are responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross. So if you're in the room and you're thinking, I'm not really that bad, you're wrong. Because our sin collectively has nailed Jesus to the cross. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand the gravity of our sin, if we don't understand that from the beginning of time, God has been clear that the penalty for sin is death, that when sin is committed, something or someone has to die. If we don't understand that and the fact that Christ humbly, graciously came and died in our place so that we might have right relationship with God, that we might be reconciled despite the fact that we were the ones that screwed it up. If we don't understand that, then we won't feel the weight of our reconciliation. But when we feel the weight of it, when we sense, oh my gosh, I serve a God who's so gracious and so kind, and we can't help but talk about it. So if you don't feel the weight of your reconciliation, I would ask you to maybe spend some time dwelling on it. And maybe it's because you haven't been reconciled. Maybe this is brand new information and a light bulb has gone off and you're thinking, I don't know if I've actually been reconciled to God. I don't know if I've placed my faith. And if that's you, and we would love to talk with you about that. I would love for you to be able to, to joyfully feel the weight of your reconciliation that moves us to a place where we can't help but talk about it. But lastly, maybe you're slow to talk about your reconciliation because it just doesn't excite you the way that it once did. Maybe you're slow to talk about reconciliation because it just doesn't excite you the same, same way. I don't talk about Hamilton very often anymore because that's so 2016, right? It's 2018. There's so many new cool things. Like if I'm still talking about Hamilton now, it's like, bro, get over it. <laughs> two, two years ago, right? But there's moments in time where I'll like stumble upon like songs and stuff like that. I'm like, oh man, that thing is awesome. Why don't I talk about that anymore? But the reality is I've just, it's not exciting anymore. 
It's not cool. It's not relevant. It's not worth talking about. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think it's cool. I think it's a great piece of art. And it belongs back in 2016, but now it's 2018, and I need something new, something new and exciting to talk about. And my fear is we treat the gospel in the exact same way, where we appreciate it, we're fans of it, we really love what it did, but that's so 2,000 years ago. And the gospel, that's so, that's so old, it's so irrelevant, it's not fresh anymore, and I've been a believer for so long, I want something new and exciting, and the gospel's old news. My fear, my fear is that we don't talk about a reconciliation because it doesn't excite us anymore. That's my fear. But my hope, my hope in all of this is that we can be people whose lives are still being transformed, still being changed by the gospel in such a profound way that we have the posture of Peter, a guy who can look people in the face and say, hey, I'm sorry if I'm being annoying, but I just can't help the talk about what I've seen and what I've heard. Let me pray. Father, I thank you um, so much for, for the fact that you've reconciled us. I thank you that while we were far from you, I thank you that while we were in rebellion against you. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That you made a way, that you bridged the gap that our sin had created. Father, it's all because of you. And Father, for, for the moments in time when that gets old or that gets stale or we don't understand the gravity of what you've done, Father, will you forgive us for that? But more than that, will you, will you move us to a place where we can't help but talk about it? That we can't help but be like ministers and messengers of reconciliation because you've invited us into your story. You've invited us to play a part. You've invited us to, to boldly proclaim the glory and the joy and the freedom that comes with our reconciliation. So Father, I ask tonight that you move us to a place where we just can't help but talk about it because you are worthy of being talked about. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Man, we hope you enjoyed that sermon, uh, and we really hope that you take that to heart. Uh, we hope that this idea of reconciliation and having the ministry of reconciliation done in our life also compels us to go and do likewise, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, we want to be a blessing to you. So we hope these podcasts are a blessing, but also we want to be a community and, and even a group of leaders that is available to you. So let us know how we can love you better. Uh, reach out to us. Uh, look us up at renovatefw.org. And uh, we'd love to buy a cup of coffee or connect with you if that's something that you need. God bless you. See you next week.